We'll talk about how curses come. We're going to talk about five different ways that curses manifest. But I'm not going to leave you with the problem. Pastor Rhonda said, please give us a solution. So this morning, we walk out the door. She said, don't just tell us about curses, but give us a solution. So just for her, I put together a list of solutions how to reverse the curse in your life. And we all know what the word reverse means. We all know when you put your transmission in R, that does not stand for race. And I wouldn't put it in R going 60 miles an hour. It is a joy this morning to have a son of this house, somebody so faithful and consistent. The four years he was at Lee, David Lair, what a joy to have you back. It's always, always smiling, always happy, a great guy. And came back to Cleveland not to go and get his master's, but came back because he felt called to Cleveland that this is a place where he wants to spend some time. So maybe a wife, a house, a car, who knows what God has for him in Cleveland. But we bless you, and uh, we thank you for honoring Church of the Harvest so many different times on, on Facebook. How to reverse the curse. We know what the word reverse means, to go back. It means to retreat, and this word is not necessarily about going back or retreating, but it's about a turnaround, how to turn some things around in your life. The word curse, Webster's Dictionary, doom, gloom, failure, poverty, accident prone. Uh, for years, I was the cousin that everybody said was accident prone, but I think lately that's shifted to my aunt because she's fallen, broke both knees, whacked her car, all kinds of things, but you might be under a curse if you're walking in doom, gloom, or despair, if everything you touch financially seems to have a tough time, physically your body, your friends, every area of your life, you may not know that you're under a curse. And I went and asked Pastor Ronald to pull up, and she was able to pull up. Many of you have heard of the Superman curse, the original Superman committed suicide. Christopher Reeves, as most of you know, fell off a horse, broke his neck, was paraplegic for uh, probably a, a decade, and then he and, and his wife both have passed away. As I, as I look at some of the top 10 curses, some of you may or may not be aware of them, but going in the least importance to the first importance, the 10 top curses is a curse of James Dean and his car, a Porsche. He had a nickname for it. I cannot tell you what that nickname was, but after he crashed his car, which killed him, it seemed like everybody that touched the car for a, for a season of time, there were two fatalities. The tires all blew. Somebody went to the hospital. When they were towing the car to the museum, uh, the truck crashed. The driver was killed. And so probably eight or nine different things that happened with, this, with James Dean's car. And uh, when it was transported, it disappeared. We're not even know who stole it, where it's at. They, they weren't able to, to follow up on it. But certainly as you document the, the car, there obviously was something attached to that. And then I think of the curse of King Tut. Most of you know the story of the curse that in the, in the tomb it says, he who visits the, t the tomb of King Tut, death will follow on wings or the wings of death. And as they begin to explore and they begin to discover King Tut and all the wealth of that, the, the person that financed that went to the tomb, walked in, got bit by a mosquito and died. There are three or four other deaths attached to that, King Tut. And then the curse of the drama, the, Holloway, the, Holly, the Hollywood, I'm sorry, the production of the curses of the, the Spider-Man, Turn Off the Dark, Turn, Turn Off the Dark, or nine years that went to promote this musical. And in the process of promoting, there were several accidents. There were two fatalities, all kinds of bad stuff attached to that. So they put a cur cur 
curse attached to that. And then there's the curse of being a rock star at the age of 27. Chris will probably know who Robert Johnson was. Eric Clapton called Robert Johnson the most important blues musician who ever lived, overdosed at the age of 27, as did Brian Jones, who was the founding member of the Rolling Stones and overdosed, as did Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin, both died of an overdose at the age of 26. Jim Morrison died the following year at the age of 27. Kurt Cobain uh, joined the club in 1964, died at the age of 27, as did Amy Winehouse, most of us know, just a few years ago. Actually, it was 2011. It's amazing how time is flying, but died at the age of 27. Pastor Ron and I were doing some math last night to find out where I was at the age of 27. At the age of 25, I put enough drugs in my body to kill me twice, but at the age of 27, I was preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ all across the nation and already gone to 10 different countries of the world at the age of 27. So aren't you glad that God can turn it around? There's a curse of Gillette. Most of you know the razor. Most of you know the different, the different ones that that were sponsored by Gillette. Probably one of the first ones would have been the uh, soccer player. I'm probably going to say his, his name wrong. Theory Henry, is that how you say his name? T-A, Theory Henry, Tiger Woods, Roger Federer. All of you know that all three of those guys had some real serious challenges in their, in their, in their, their sports and the program. Tiger Woods, everything completely fell apart. Federer was beaten by an underdog, and uh, the soccer player... Henry was found cheating at a World Cup in soccer. Then there was one other, David Beckman, who was sponsored by Gillette, went through all kinds of challenges, even being booed at a soccer game because he fell from grace, the, the curse of Gillette. Then there is the Billy Goat curse. How many can tell me about the Billy Goat curse? Anybody? Uh, Robert, you don't know about the Billy Goat curse? Let me get a date here. Let me just read here what it says. William Billy Goat Sikanis brought his pet goat Murphy to Wrigley Field to see the fourth game of the 1945 World Series between the Chicago Cubs and the Tigers. Sinus and his goat was later ejected from the stadium after complaints from fellow fans, and Sinus reportedly put a curse on the team that day. Ever since then, the Cubs have had legendary bad luck. Throughout the years, Cubs players have experienced agony in repeated late-season collapses when victory seemed imminent. 1969, 1969-1984, 1989, the Cubs were painfully close to the World Series but couldn't hold the lead. Even those who don't consider some Cubs fan blame the Hex of weird, almost comical losses year after year. The Cubs have not won a World Series since 1908. No other team in history of the game has gone without a championship. So many people felt there is the curse of the Billy Goat that, they, that, that this man curse because they made his billy goat leave. I won't talk about the curse of Tehran, Hungary, the country of Hungary, or the t curse of Rasputin, which was the Russian magician that had several things attached to him. I will tell you about Tippecanoe's curse. At the Battle of Tippecanoe, uh, Tecumseh cursed our government. They cursed America. They cursed the presidents, which created what is the zero curse. And many of you will find this interesting. From 1840, to 1960, every single United States president that was either elected or re-elected in the zero year has died in office. And they claim that this Indian chief put a curse upon the presidents of the United States. William Harrison, elected president 1840, caught a cold during inauguration. History says he was too proud to wear a jacket 
and inauguration, he caught a cold and died a year later of pneumonia. Abraham Lincoln was also 20 years later, was elected president, 1860, elected four years later, was assassinated, most of you know, April 4th, 1865. 20 years later, James Garfield, 1880. Garfield died uh, wounds from a gunshot. There was actually, I believe, a, a duel, and they shot one another. He was wounded and died from that. Aren't you glad that our presidents don't go and have duels anymore and try to shoot each other? Maybe we should incorporate some of that. Maybe things would go uh, a little bit better. Uh, William McKinley, 20 years later, reelected in 1900, was shot by Leon, whatever his name is, considered the president enemy of the people. He died from that gunshot wound eight days later. And then in 1920, 20 years later, Warren Harding was, was elected in 1920, died a year later of a heart of extensive heart attack. Franklin Roosevelt, president 1932, re-elected 1940, died rather suddenly of a hemorrhage. Am I interesting anybody? Is this interesting to you? Uh, John F. Kennedy, probably the number one curse that we are aware of. As most of you know, John F. Kennedy lost his brother and sister in, in, a, in, a, in a plane wreck, two separate plane wrecks. And then we know that John Kennedy was assassinated in, in uh, 1963, at the age of 46, Robert Kennedy, John's younger brother, was assassinated in 1968. Ted Kennedy survived a plane wreck, later got in a car wreck, which killed his administrator, which the investigation defeated all of his uh, opportunities to run as president. In 1984, Robert Kennedy's son, David, died of an overdose, while Michael, a year later, died of a skiing accident. In 1997, 1999, John F. Kennedy Jr. and his sister-in-law were, were killed in a plane crash when he lost control of the plane that crashed into the ground. So is there something to a curse as you look at some of the things that we see in our history? There's a possibility that there are some operating in a curse or under a curse. There are three ways a curse can be brought to your life. The first way, if you're taking notes on this, is self-inflicted. You can do things that will bring curses upon you. The second way to walk in a curse is demonic, demonically attached, that there is a stronghold, there is a satanic stronghold that can bring curses upon different ones. And then there are actual curses that come from God, where the God allows Satan to do it, or God does it himself. I'm not going to argue the semantics of that, but we are aware that the Bible says that God said, I will curse them that curse you, I will bless them that bless you. There are five steps to a curse, and step number one, how to find yourself in a curse. And I did want to tell you that Pastor Ron and I went to the island of Haiti, whose God, uh, their God is voodoo, and uh, we actually went to a voodoo temple. We were with a pastor that was the overseer of Haiti for several years, and he actually knew the witch doctor, and so we got carte blanche. We got a tour of the, uh, of the, of the voodoo temple, and there we actually witnessed voodoo dolls, the the uh, voodoo believes they can actually take a doll that can attach something from your, from your person, a hair or a whisker or, a, or a, something attached to your body, and they can attach that to the voodoo doll, and they can pierce it with a needle, and they can bring calamity and harm and danger. And there are, there are many that believe there, there is power in the voodoo. But let me tell you something. Anything that the devil does in negative, God always does in the positive. Aren't you glad if there's a yin, there's a yang. If there's a black, there's a white. If there's a good, there's a bad. If there's a blessing, look at somebody and say, if there's a blessing, then there's probably a curse. The second way that you can bring a curse upon yourself is murder. We know that uh, the first time that we find the word curse in the Bible 
was disobedience by Adam and Eve. Obviously, before Eve was, was made, the word said that God told Adam, don't mess with this tree. So the tree, the responsibility of the tree was that of the man who's the prophet, priest, and king of his family. Yet when Eve disobeyed and ate of the tree and Adam disobeyed and ate of the, ate of the tree, Adam blamed his wife and the, the woman blamed the snake. And the snake had no one to blame. So in Genesis 3 and 15, we find the actual first curse. We find that God cursed the serpent and said, from this day forward on your belly, will you crawl, you will eat the dust of the earth. You will be, you'll, there'll be in between, between you and the seed of man. And we realize that Calvary, the devil gave his best shot, tried to bury the fangs of death in the grave in the face of Jesus. But he was defeated when Jesus took away the keys of hell and of death. Is there anybody in the, in the building that is excited about that? We find that disobedience is the first way to bring a, a curse in your life. The second way is murder. Ironically, we mentioned uh, John F. Kennedy, Dallas. If you will do research in, in the history of Texas, Carrollton was one of the larger cities in, in the Texas area, but just a few miles away from Carrollton, there was a little trading uh, store, just a little guy just set up a shop a mom-paw shop, and at that trading store, I'm not sure if it was over racial discrimination, but there was the first murder in that area, and that, that trading store later became downtown Dallas, and we find that John F. Kennedy was murdered in, in the city of Dallas. How ironic is that? The cities are, are built because of why? Anybody give me a reason why cities are built? There are three main reasons why city. Why, why, why is there... Why is there a city? Why, why do people build cities? Well, number one, protection. Families will come in. You guard my back. I'll guard your back. Let's build walls. Let's, let's, let's watch it. Let's, 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 let's keep it safe. So number one reason for city is protection. Number two, obviously, is finances. You trade, I sell. You buy, I buy, you sell. So commerce and economically. The number three reason for cities, obviously, is social. You date. You, you, you go out. You eat. You have fun. You visit. The first city built was a city built by a murderer, and that was Cain. The Bible says that Cain was banished from the presence of God, that Cain went to the land of Nod, married a wife, built a city. So the first city built was, was a city built by a murderer. Isn't it ironic that you find very few murders in the country? Isn't it ironic all of the, all of the bad things you will find in the city, all the gangs, all the... Uh, drunk drivers, all the, all the murder acts that take place in the city. I believe there are seasons in your life when you need to identify the strong man of the city, bind that strong man, and ask God to bring revival and restoration as God did in Nineveh and other places where God re, re, removes the curse, the spirit of salvation, the spirit of healing. And I believe, I believe Cleveland, Tennessee probably has a few strongholds that wouldn't hurt for us to bind. Can anybody relate? I don't think we need to get a helicopter at 300 feet and at that level, take authority. I don't necessarily know that demonic entities hover at 300 feet. I think it's more around 3,000 feet. But uh, I think that there are times in our life when we, in research, we can find why our city was, I don't know if you know why Cleveland, Tennessee was established, but the reason it was established is because we had a plethora of fresh springs. There's, there was a water source here that different, different uh, places, they would come from Athens, they would come from Udawal, they come from Chattanooga, with their horse and buggy and big barrels, and they would get fresh water. At the time that Cleveland was going through the uh, Civil War, uh, Cleveland was neutral. Cleveland did not go 
uh, Confederate or Union, it stayed neutral. And have you ever seen a city that is so neutral in religion? So many different churches, so many different venues, so many different. I thought that would bless you. Most of you may not know this, but in 1945, there was a law passed in the city of Cleveland that you could no longer handle snakes in church. How many knows that is actual, that is actually uh, true? Uh, but we know as you look at, at the actual word of Cleveland, Cleveland is the land of cleavage. Two things happen in cleavage. The Bible says that, that, that Ruth, uh, uh, that Naomi, she cleaved for Ruth. They, they were bonded together. And we know that cleavage also from a meat cleaver, it separates and divides. Have you ever seen a city so separated and divided, but yet at the same time, have you ever seen a city so united in the things that they're united in? So I preached a revival several years ago, uh, tough, t- tough church, tough, tough, tough meeting, tough, just a real, one of those tough, just tough places to preach. And the pastor, young guy, uh, birthed a new church, good church, healthy, had a lot of bodies in it, but there was a lot of strife, a lot of contention, a lot of, just a lot of stuff. And uh, I said, well, pastor, what, what does the name Silicaga mean? What, is the, what does the name mean? He said, I don't know. I said, why don't you do some research? He came back the next day and told me Silicaga was an Indian name, and it means buzzard's roost. Well, man, of all places for gossip and criticism and strife to dwell, I mean, who would name their city Buzzard's Roost? Hello? But then again, who would name their city Udawal? Anyway, it is, it is what it is, and we believe that sometimes curses are attached to a particular city. Uh, number three, reason why curses come upon you are sexual. Uh, numbers five, and you don't have to turn there, but numbers five and 21, the only lie detector in the Bible. How many knows there's a lie detector in the Bible? Has anybody heard this before? Two or three of us? Uh, if a man... And a lot of times, the inability to have children was considered a curse. And a lot of times, it was assumed that the wife was committing adultery or something was going on. But if the spirit of jealousy rose up in a man and he felt like his wife was cheating on him, he would take his wife to the priest. The priest would take her into the, 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 the inner court of the uh, sanctuary of the tabernacle. And there he would take holy water that had been blessed. He would take dirt from the altar, which was dirt that was stained with blood from the sacrifice of animals. He would put the dirt in the water, and then he would stir the water, then he would bless, he would bless the bitter uh, offering, and then he would give it to the woman. Uh, the woman drank it. If she was, found, if she was guilty of adultery, her, th- her thigh would swell, her belly would rot, and she would die a horrible death. If she was innocent of the accusation, she would conceive seed. How many you did not know that story? did not know that story. It really is. It's a very interesting, incredible story. But in, the, in, the, in Numbers 5 and 21, it says that if she has committed adultery, she's cursed. So we find that there are a lot of people walking in a curse or walking under a curse because of, of uh, fornication or adultery. I remember when our church was real, real young, the Lord taught me a very, very important lesson concerning soul ties. And I was counseling with someone that had been very promiscuous and they proceeded, and, and, and uh, you know, you, 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 you learn as you process through life. I never took classes how to be a pastor. Uh, I don't believe I ever saw my dad counsel ever, but, but you know, you, you learn from experience. But this, this woman would tell me uh, who she slept with and then the things that would happen after she slept with him. And I realized that in a soul tie, you take on not just your demons, but you take on the demons not just of the person you slept with, but the person they slept with. And it, can, and, it, and it can be a domino effect that you find yourself 
all kinds of stuff going on in your life, all kinds of mayhem and all kinds of confusion because sexually you were out of order. So the fourth, I'm sure nobody in here would be guilty of that uh, because we're all saints. The fourth uh, reason for a curse would be a covenant violation. In Deuteronomy 28, it's amazing how many times God uses the word blessed and how many times he used the word curse. So if there's a blessing, there's a cursing. If God is going to bless us for our faithfulness, then there's a cursing that comes when we are unfaithful. And the covenant violations, he said, if you violate any of these, of, of these covenant truths, then you are under a curse. Look at somebody and say what Pastor Ronald would say, oh me, oh my. The, uh, the, the, the fifth reason that I have for uh, a generational curse is fruitlessness. It's fruitlessness. You remember when Jesus walked up the fig tree and he went to get some fruit, didn't have any fruit on it, and he cursed it. It came back a few days later and the tree was dead. Do you remember that? Remember the story of the 10, the 10 talents, the five talents and the one talent? You know, the guy that had 10 talents, he went out and doubled what God had given him. The guy with three talents, he went out also and doubled what God gave him. But then the one guy did absolutely nothing with his talent, did absolutely nothing with his gift, did absolutely nothing with his ministry. And then when he stood before God, God tossed him to a place of outer darkness where there was weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That sounds like a curse to me. That sounds like a curse. I believe that there are times in our life when God will call us to do things, he'll finance things, he'll want us to do things. And in disobedience, we decide that's not what we want to do. That's not where we want to go. That's not what we want to be a part of. Then all of a sudden, we start finding, not necessarily calamities, but things in our life going wrong. Hosea calls it a hedge of thorns. Hosea prayed a prayer on his unfaithful wife that everything that she would touch become uncomfortable. I have partnered with people in the past 10 years as I, as I was sharing the message I'm going to share next Sunday on America the Medicated. I have prayed with wives and I have prayed with children that prayed a hedge around their unsaved husband or their or their. Uh, unsafe son or daughter, that their wine would become flat, their lovers would become uninterested, and everything they touch in pleasure, it would bring pain. And I believe sometimes there's a curse attached to those that we love that we're praying for, that the curse will cause them to turn back to Christ. Someone say, praise the Lord. Are we at Proverbs 26? The, uh, I have one of the, re- six, I guess there are six reasons for uh, a curse, and that would be generational. Look at somebody and say, generational. In Deuteronomy 5 and 9, it says the dad that honors God, his lineage will be blessed to the thousandth generation. Okay, when you do the math, if you go 70 years per generation and you multiply it times a thousand, that's 70,000 years that God has promised a blessing to the father that honors him. So certainly this precedes the law, the curse of a law, the redemption from the curse of the law, like the Ten Commandments or Old Testament, but they still apply today. Does that help anybody? Here's what happens. It says, if you are faithful and consistent, God will bless your children to the thousandth generation. What a, what a miracle. What, what a blessing. What an honor. But if you go the other way and walk in sin and violate the promises of God and violate the covenant, God will visit the sins of the Father even to the third and fourth generation. There are many people that are operating under a, genera- a generational curse, and they don't realize it. We see some glimpses of the generational curse when you look at the life of Abraham. Abraham came out of the land uh, that, that he was raised in and began to pursue the things of God. 
a king invited them into the, his home. Abraham was afraid because his wife was so beautiful that he'd be murdered. He lied and said that Sarah was his sister, which technically was a half-truth. She was his half-sister. And we know the same thing happened with Isaac. He left the land of his father, began to pursue a different land. Another king found his wife beautiful. He lied about her. Then we look at Jacob, who obviously deceived Esau and his dad. And then we look at Joseph, his brothers. They told the dad that Joseph was dead, and they, put, they got a bloody coat, and they put the blood of animals and deceived their father. So there you see deception all the way to the fourth generation. Uh, how, how scary is that? When I, I shared with you last week when we talked about the five torments in hell, I told you about my uncle that invented and produced the camper, Tropicana. And I told you about his wealth and how well he did. Then I told you about lost everything and then became an alcoholic and then had his legs amputated. As I begin to follow, as I begin to follow his life and begin to follow his children, he has a daughter that we cannot find. We have no idea where she's at. She got hooked real bad, got, got involved in the occult, got involved in witchcraft, then got involved in drugs, lost all of her teeth, wandered from one city to another. We have absolutely, we don't, we don't know where she's at. Her son has already been to two drug rehabs, and he is horrifically drug, hooked on drugs today. And I'll be careful what I say because I love all my cousins. This take me to reach them. But, but there was another son that is a functioning alcoholic. How many knows what a functioning alcoholic is? Is a functioning alcoholic. And we see the generation go from one generation to second generation to the third generation. Uh, if you will do a, any kind of history research on your... Is this interesting you? Is anybody interested in this? If you will do a family a research on your generation and see where your, fa- where your family is at. I took just one leg. My great-grandfather was quite a character. He was um, he's, uh, Marilyn Monroe's butler. Uh, he wore a gun in the old days. He shot a guy through the saloon door. Uh, he married my great-grandma, Grandma Pearl, had five children. He abandoned, that, those, he abandoned every one of those children and, and lived a promiscuous lifestyle as a playboy. He partied, and just a month, or, a month or two before he died, my dad led him to the Lord at the very end of his life, the last month of his life. So I'm so pleased to tell you that he is in heaven. But let me tell you about when, 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 when he abandoned my grandmother, let me tell you about my grandmother. My grandmother lost her firstborn child, as did, she had four kids, two, two daughters and two sons. Both of my aunts lost their firstborn chi- children, uh, when um, my, my sister was born, many of you don't know that, I was sort of the old, she wouldn't be the Lord a couple years ago. She was born of tuberous sclerosis and lived her entire life in a, in a hospital, passed away a few years ago. And as you look at every one of the kids and begin to look at, at their children, which would be the third generation, uh, we, we look at, at, we look at my, my generation. My mom and dad technically lost my sister uh, I was divorced. Jimmy's wife abandoned him a week before marriage. My brother, how would you like to have all the wedding plans, have everything all set up, and then the week before the wedding, you can't find the bride? She didn't return his phone call. She, she really did. This really did happen. Then he married another girl, and she, she abandoned him in divorce. As I look at, at my generation, when Courtney was born, the devil tried to steal her. But something happened in that. Something happened in that. I believe that Pastor Ron and I took authority over any generational curse. I, t- I think it's second, third, fourth generation. 
And I don't believe Courtney's kids are going to be unhealthy. I don't believe Christine's kids are going to be unhealthy. But we did not know to pray. The Bible says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. If you're, op- if you're operating in a curse and you don't know you're operating in a curse and you don't know how to break that curse, that curse is going to continue to follow you through every generation that you touch. But look at Proverbs 26 and 2. As the bird by wandering, as a swallow by flying, so the curse causeless, causeless shall not come. I don't know if, if you watch swallows at all. They're a lot like bats. I don't know if you've seen a bat at night, the way it darts here and there. A hummingbird will dart from one bush to another. And that's what, what, that's what the, the, the book of wisdom is saying. If there is not a cause, you cannot be cursed. Look at someone and say, praise the Lord. Are you not glad that you have been redeemed from the curse of the law? If, there, if, if you have been redeemed from the curse of the law, then your generation, the generations follow, are under the blood as you know how to apply that. I, I asked Pastor Rhonda, and they were so good to find something that I read uh, several years ago uh, about two particular people. Jonathan Edwards in the 18th century was a preacher's preacher. Uh, hundreds would get saved as a revival, wrote some books, a godly man. And there, was an, and there was another guy by the name of, let me find his name here in case you're, in case you're taking notes, Max Jutes. So what scholars did, what researchers did, they followed the descendants of these two men. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, they followed 1,394 nine descendants. Let me share with you about these descendants. Of these descendants, 13 were college presidents, 65 were college professors, 30 were judges, 100 were lawyers, 60 were physicians, 75 were army and naval officers, 100 pastors, 60 authors of prominence, three United States senators, 80 public servants in other capacities, including governors and ministers in foreign countries, and one vice president of the United States. How many would say he had a godly heritage? How many say he, he led a godly legacy? How many would say there was no, what, what he did was transferred to the third and fourth generation, good things, honor, and faithful? Let me tell you about Max Jutes. Max Jutes had a drinking problem. He would often leave his wife and kids at home for days and return home drunk. His drinking led the problem not being able to keep a steady job. Warfield was able to trace ancestry of Jukes. He traced 540 of his ancestors. Are you ready? Of the 540, 310 died as paupers. 150 were criminals, including seven murderers. More than 100 were drunkards. And half of his female descendants ended up as prostitutes. Look at somebody and say, the apple doesn't fall very far from the tree. How ironic, how ironic is all of that? As we look at a generational curse, I believe that, and, and you know what? Let me just go ahead and teach you how to eliminate curses in your life. Nobody get nervous. The page is here. Look at somebody and give me a break. Five ways to reverse the curse in your life. If you're, taking, if you're taking notes. The first way to avoid curses and remove curses in your life is through repentance. Re means to do something over again. Reorder, reproduce, remanufacture. Penance is where we get the word penthouse. What is the penthouse? Anybody? 
the very top of a nice motel or a nice hotel, the, the, the lavish rooms are called penthouses. And some of those rooms can rent out for as much as $50,000 a night. Penthouse, the word pent means top. Repentance means let's go back to the top. Let's go back to what God has for you. Let's go, go back to the promises of God, the favor of God. One of the greatest uh, stories of repentance is the prodigal son. He left a healthy dad. He left a, a family that loved him, cared about him, other than the older brother. And he took his inheritance, and he went. He wasted it on drugs, alcohol, partying, all the things attached to the world. A famine hit. He ran out of money. He got hungry. And then he began to remember the goodness of his father. He began to remember the, the, the family, the love that his dad had for him. He began to remember how his dad treated his employees. And he said to himself, I'm not a son. I've disqualified myself. As many people have disqualified themselves because they feel their sin has disqualified them from God. They've gone too far. God won't accept them back or love them. But he said, I'm going to go back as an employee and get a job. He went back, and before he could offer his services as an employee, his dad ran out and embraced him. And you know the, all the, the restoration of things that God, that God brought to that family through repentance. Repentance is doing and about faith, turning around, leaving your sins, and going back to the things of God. When the woman was caught in adultery, was brought to Jesus, and whatever he did to get her accusers to all walk away, he looked at her and he said, repent, and, do, and, and don't, do this, don't do this sin anymore. In other words, stop walking in prostitution. Stop walking in adultery. There's a better way. Find a better way and walk. And I believe that we can, by the blood of Jesus, I believe we can repent of our sins. I believe we can repent of the sins of the Father. I believe that we can shut the curse down. I believe we can turn the curse around. And I think the rest of our life and the rest of our generations are going to be blessed in Jesus' name. The second way to reverse a curse is obedience. In 1 Samuel 15 and 22, Samuel commenting on Saul's disobedience to God, he said, obedience is better than sacrifice. Say that with me. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And a lot of times, God's word will tell us how to live. God's word will tell us what to do. But the word also says that same scripture, 1 Samuel 15 and 22, 23, it says that stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Idolatry means having other gods before God. We know what iniquity is, that sin. But stubbornness, refusing to turn around, refusing to honor God's word, refusing to honor the, the, the concepts and the precepts listed in the Bible, refusing to honor the teachings of Christ, the teachings of Paul and the disciples, all those things that were given to us, that refusal to walk in that brings a curse upon your life. You have violated a covenant. A covenant is a marriage. When you violate that marriage, you set yourself up for divorce. Divorce means separation, estrangement, uh, 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 uninvolvement. And so when you disobey God, you qualify yourself for divorce from God. But when you obey God, it reverses the curse in your life. Someone say, praise the Lord, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. The third way to reverse or denounce a curse is the power of words in praise and prayer. It's scary how powerful prayer is. It's scary how powerful praise is. We have learned that praise brings God to us. And in our praise and in our, in our, in our prayer, as God begins to honor, God begins to ordain, the Bible says he will answer our prayers. And when you ask God point blank in Jesus' name, 
Lord, if you, in Jesus' name, will remove any curses in my life, any generational curses, any family curses, any adultery curses, any, any, any disobedient curses, anything that somebody, my father, great-grandfather, did, I don't know anything about, help me remove all of the, the cultic, I'll be careful what I say here, but there are a lot of soul ties, there are a lot of curses attached to stuff, jewelry, different clothes, different things, and, and as you begin to ask God to remind you to remove those things, Pastor Ron and I, this, this uh, pastor friend that I told you about, I went and preached for him, and he was writing a book on voodoo. He had the feathers, he had the skulls, he had the dolls, he had all that stuff. And uh, this pastor studying voodoo, and he's going to be very careful what you research and what you read. This pastor became so depressed, the three revivals I held for him, I never saw him before 3 o'clock in the afternoon. He would stay up all night long in his chair watching TV, and then he would sleep all day, and then he'd wake up around 3. He's dead, died a premature death, just uh, pro- probably died of depression, was so, was so depressed, was so uh, overwhelmed. While I was there in the second revival, his daughter, who was engaged to be married, somebody walked up behind, just walked up behind her and pushed her down and broke her leg right there in the middle of the revival. As, as the wife began to share with me, she's alive in Cleveland as a widow, but she began to share me some of the calamities in their life. I pondered, and I won't say her name, but I, I called her name and I said, what, what, what do you think about all these voodoo stuff he has in the house? All of the, all of the artifacts, all of the things concerning voodoo, what do you think about all that? She said, I got rid of all that a long time ago. So sometimes we need to make sure there's no jewelry given to us through an adult relationship. There's no clothes we wore to a certain place. There's no, there's no uh, artifact that will remind us or what was involved in. Does that help anybody in the building? And also a lot of us, our music, the things we watch on TV, sometimes a song on the radio remind us of something bad that happened. So you know, you got to be careful what you listen to, be careful what you speak. The fourth thing that will bring uh, us out of a curse and remove the curse in our life is worship. When, when Noah was on board the ark for o- over nine months, got out, the first thing he did in, in Genesis 8, 20 and 21, the first thing that he did was he built an altar. He offered a sacrifice to God. The Bible says the burnt offering went up into the presence of God, and God said, God said he was pleased with the sacrifice, and he would never again smite the earth with a curse as he did Adam in the Garden of Eden. Someone say praise the Lord. Uh, Dad has a garden that is 99% weeds and 1% okra and tomatoes. I feel so sorry for him. He forgot to spray all the weeds before he tilled the dirt. We brought in all kinds of rabbit fertilizer. And what he grows, he grows incredibly, but the weeds are growing better than the fruit because of all the fertilizer. And I think that if we could go back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were cast out, God said, in, in thy sweat, you're going you're gonna to till this land until you return to the land for of dust thou art and of dust thou shalt remain. And if you b- begin to talk about the thorns and thistles that were in the life at that time, that they had to hack and whack and try to beat out a living. But in Genesis 8, God reversed that curse. And now look at the vegetation. Look at the water. Look at all the things that will grow. Look at all the, 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 now, the, the delta now, how fertile it is, the Mississippi River, all the, the San Joaquin Valley, all the places where we're growing thousands of acres of strawberries or thousands of acres of watermelon. How by God reversing that curse, the earth again has become fruitful. And the reason that God reversed that curse was because of the sacrifice that, that Noah made to God. 
So five ways to reverse the curse. Oh, I forgot the fifth way. Are you ready for this? Malachi 3, God said, you're cursed with a curse, even the entire nation. Okay, let's, let's talk about America just for a moment. And uh, I'll try not to be touchy. I'll try not to be offended. I'll try not to be wounded. Uh, but when the white man came from the ocean, all of my family was here. I am a Creek Indian, and I've traced my lineage back, and we were at Plymouth Rock. We've been moved from one plantation to another, like the Cherokee people. They put us all on a reservation. They found oil on the reservation. They moved us off the reservation and went somewhere else. And the second thing they brought to the, to the Indian, I don't know if you're aware of this, is smallpox. Uh, hundreds of thousands of Indians died of the smallpox. The third thing that they brought to the Indian nation was gunpowder. They actually introduced the firearms to the Indian nation. And the uh, fourth thing that the white man gave to the Indian, anybody care to guess what the fourth thing was? Alcohol. Alcohol. They introduced the alcohol. Okay, if you will look at those four things that America the Beautiful did in, in 1492, whatever that generate that seat, 1492 from Columbus to today, look at the four things that have uh, uh, ramparted America. Uh, guns, people being shot, people being killed, people being, uh, and, 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 and the lives that guns take, take in armies and, and wars and things of that nature. When we look at the smallpox, I compare that with AIDS. In the book of Deuteronomy, it says, if you dishonor God, not follow God, scabs, scab and the itch shall come upon you. That scab and itch in Deuteronomy 28 is referring to uh, sexual sins, sexual diseases, such as herpes, STD, all of that. And that when the, when the, when the white man planted smallpox in the lives of the Indian, the white man re uh, reaped STD. Is this making any sense to any of you at all? And we look at the wandering from one place to another. Uh, most, most people rarely stay married two years. They stay at a job two years, as a residence two years. There's a nomad spirit where everybody's looking for a place on earth where yesterday cannot catch up with today. Does that help anybody? So we find that, we find that what the nation did when we were established, there were results of that, of the wrongdoing that we did. But today, when God said, you're cursed with the curse, the reason that we're cursed with the curse is because he has declared for us to bring the first part, the 10th part, into the storehouse. If you don't own your own business, without exception, everyone in this place, let me tell you why America's in trouble right now. Are you, are you ready? Because the first fruit of our check does not go to the house of God. The first fruit of our check goes to the IRS. How many, how many when you get your, your check, deductions are taken out? Let me see your hand. If you're not lifting your hand, you're either not working, you're rich and retired, or you have your, you have your own business. Or you don't get a check. Or you have, you have your own business. I believe America is where it's at right now because as a nation, we have robbed God. And God said, you've robbed me two ways. You've robbed me in tithe. You've robbed me in offering. A couple of years ago, God told me I felt like there needed to be two windows. I think that we needed to have opportunity for tithe and not a lot of sub about tithe. Tithe is not a suggestion. It's a commandment. And God's word didn't say that your tithe was to support a TV evangelist, God gave you eight pockets in Proverbs. He said, so seven, no, so eight, because you don't know what thing's going to be upon the earth. So there's seven, eight different ways that you can sow your offering. You can sow your offering in a missionary. You can sow your offering in a drug rehab. You can sow your offering in a televangelist. 
You can serve your offering in a cause. You can sell your offering in a hospital. There are eight different, and I, I can give you a list because the Lord showed me the eight different ways that you can sow your offering. But tithe, it belongs to the storehouse. The same way that you got saved, restored, and turned around, God wants to use that same means to touch this nation, to touch this city, and he does it through the church. If you were <coughs> born again or saved in some kind of church setting, revivals, a service, a worship service, a concert, but some type of church setting, you were saved in that kind of setting, would you lift your hand? You were saved either in a, in a so probably, probably about half of us. The rest of you aren't saved yet. I'll give it all to call in just a minute, and we will all get saved together. So you see the importance of the storehouse. You see the importance of the church. And God said, if you don't bring all the tithes in the storehouse, then you are cursed with the curse. The Bible talks about uh, making so much money, but you're putting your money with pockets with holes in it. It seems like no matter how you almost manage to get ahead, the transmission falls out of your car. Now listen, the transmission fell out yesterday. I'm not preaching at, I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching for you today. I'm trying to help you that one of the ways to reverse the curse, as far as God said, was the, was the power of tithe and offering. If we tithe, if we bring offering, the Bible says a window. Is that right? No. Windows, plural. The windows of heaven. There are five different, and I won't, and I won't go there. I used to teach several years ago on, on, on prosperity and the ability of, of sowing and reaping. But there are five, when you sow into God the tithe, there are five windows that God will open upon you. And they're phenomenal windows, ways to bless you, ways to search you out and find you. The way David searched out Bethesdachet, is that right? Him too. His cousin. The way that David searched him out, I mean, I mean, tracked, hunted him down, tracked him down the way that God searched out Elijah there in the wilderness. When, when you tithe and you're faithful and consistent, and it's not a suggestion, it's a commandment. And there are a lot of people in, in my life, and be very careful what I say, there are a lot of people in my life that I have watched that they, they, they come to God, God does great things, they start tithing, and the enemy will always convince us that we can't tithe. Uh, I, I, read, I, read, oh, I heard a minister say, he said, he said, powerful, powerful. He said, you'll never be able to afford to tithe until you start tithing. I love that. You'll never be able to afford to tithe until you start tithing. Rhonda tells a story of some money she got and her dad giving her a lesson about tithing. You've all heard the story. I was young and it was in the days of, uh, of my three sons, Bewitched, came on Saturday night. And mom, there was no permit press in those days, so I, hired, I ironed all of dad's handkerchiefs, and I ironed pillowcases of all things, if you can believe my mom would iron the. And so I think I got a penny for the, for the handkerchief, and I got five cents for the pillowcase. And when I got done, I didn't want to wait. I wanted to be paid right then. I got paid Saturday night. I, I, gave, I turned in what I got, and I got paid. And I can remember, and I'm sure when I think of our poor ushers that count the offering. I'm sure I probably drove the, the, uh, the usher nuts because there would, be, there would be 10 cents tithe and 5 cents offering. There'd be 18 cents tithe, there'd be 5 cents offering. So as a child, I grew up that you didn't go to church without money. As a child, I grew up, you didn't go anywhere with, without sowing an offering. I, I can remember there was a season, and this will really, really uh, crack you up. I, I got to a place the first or second year of evangelist, I decided that I was going to give 20% uh, not 10%. And I had, I'll be careful how, how I say this, but I had someone fuss at me and say, 
you, you, you need to live on that other 10%. Just give 10%. That's all that God requires. I don't believe that. I learned a long time ago not to tithe on what I make, but to tithe on what I want to make. I think it's an expression of faith. I believe it's an expression of, of covenant. I believe it's an expression of everything you touch is blessed. Blessed in the city. Blessed in the, in, in the country. Blessed going in. Blessed going out. Uh, the head, not the tail. Blessed lying down. Blessed. And I believe that, that attachment, is, it, it comes with generosity. I believe there's a there's the ability to open a window through tithe. There's the ability to open up a window through offering. And many of you have heard this story, but a very young evangelist had an uh, incredible, incredible uh, revival in Calhoun, Georgia. And on the way to that revival, we stopped at a Sonic there in, in, in Calhoun. And I met the owner. He was from California, used to be a cop, flew a helicopter. Uh, the, the guy that actually implemented the helicopters in California, the very first state to ever use helicopters for police work, the very guy to implement that went to our church. And, uh, and so we had something in common. I knew all about helicopters. Please, please. He, had, he had crashed a helicopter at Long Beach, was sinking, uh, and, he, and he saw a light. And he began to share that light. I said, would you go to church? He said, no. Well, then for some reason, I got off on this wild, uh, I was preaching a sermon called Stairway to Heaven, where I played music backwards and did all the backwards masking and shared the lyrics and some of the tragedies of some of the rock stars. And they got so fascinated by that sermon, by that, you know, of all the great things I preached, that would be the sermon that brought them to the church. When they came the first time, he and his wife and daughter got saved. They came back the next night. Before that revival was over, every single one of his employees were born again. His whole, his whole they saw such a change in his life. It completely, he's retired now. Uh, his son and I think they own three Sonic, but doing very well. We're still in contact with them. They're very much a blessing. But when I, when, I left that, when I left that city, I introduced them to the pastor and introduced them to, to uh, different ones in the church. And so a, f- a few months later, I ran into the pastor of the Calhoun Church, and, and I, I was saying, hey, how are they doing? How, man, they're doing great. They're attending. Everything's going on. He said, but the weird thing of it is they're not tithing. And I said, well, that's, that's crazy. They were, they were giving in the offering, and they've sent me an offering from time to time. Let's, uh, let, let, me, let me connect with them. And so... I was preaching somewhere. They came. We went out to eat. And I said, tell me. I said, tell me about tithing. And here's exactly what he said. He said, when, when we gave our heart, when we gave our heart to the Lord, we were making $1,000 a week. And so it was easy. We gave God $100 every Sunday. Then we, we gave some offering like he taught us. He said, but our business went to $1,000 a day. And I just, I just couldn't tithe. I, I just couldn't tithe on all of that. And I said, okay, let me tell you. I'm going to say his name. Let me tell you what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that you go back to $1,000 a week because you could afford to tithe then and that you would, that you would not make $1,000 a day so you won't be tempted to rob God. And he said, no, 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 don't do that. And from that moment forward, they started tithing. Aren't you glad I didn't pray they'd go back to $1,000 a week? And aren't, aren't you glad that I didn't? And I wouldn't pray that. But, you know, we preachers threaten things just to try to get you to, to motivate you to greatness and motivate. So, so there is an awesome truth. There's an awesome, David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed out begging bread. I've watched Ron and I make a decision over this or tithing, and it's not a decision. It really isn't. You know, God's been so faithful. I've never had to, to decide to go to, to electric bill or tithing. Things have never been that tight, but I would like to think that I would bring God's tithe before I'd pay the electric. I know that that sounds corny. That may not sound like a good steward of family, uh, but that's how much I believe in the power 
of tithing. And the second, the second year, I'll be very, very careful what I say here, the second year of bringing 20% to the house of God instead of 10%, not only did my tithe keep a church alive for the next five years, but at the, at the time of that church feeling like God was done with them and that the, the pastor and wife was going to retire, are you ready for this? When that, when that church ceased to be a church, they had so much confidence in this ministry that when they sold the facilities, they gave Word of Life Ministries $850,000. I came to Cleveland. We paid cash for the land. We paid cash for the building. We paid cash for the sound system. We paid cash for the chairs. And that, that's what we did with the money. Had I not started tithing, would he have done that? I don't know. Was that God's test for me? Maybe. You never know what God's up to, but he's always up to something. And that's the trust, and that's the trust and the faith that God has in you. If you say this with me, if I'm faithful over little things, he'll make me a ruler over the big things. But we shared last Sunday, money is not evil. Money, the Bible says that money answereth all things. But the love of money can become your God. Your money can become more important than anything else in your life. You can work 50, 60, 70 hours a week, and I've taught you the difference between a workaholic and an alcoholic is a spelling. Usually wear your body out, wear your body down, and you either get what you can, sit on the can, and then at the end of your life, spend all of your money on doctors and medicine because you're all wore out, or you've sowed that in the kingdom of God where God comes and God heals you that you don't spend too much of money on chemotherapy or surge or medicine. Come on, I'm preaching to somebody in the building today. God has been faithful and God has been good, and we thank God for his faithfulness and his goodness. So there we see that there are five different ways to bring a curse upon your life. There are five different ways to remove a curse from your life. And the Bible, when the Bible says, I will open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, if you'll remove all the italicized words from that passage, it says, I'll open the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing, and that's not all. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Your, your vine will not cast its, its fruit before its time. Your, you will harvest crop and all the nations shall call you blessed. So there's something about turning the curse around, walking the faithfulness that God has for us, and the blessing that God has for us. Just a moment, as every head is bowed, every eye is closed, just for a moment. Father, we pray today that this teaching would be encouraging, would be uplifting, would be instrumental in, in looking at some things in our life. We thank you, Lord, that we're walking in obedience and, faith, and, and faithfulness, but if there's a curse in the sins of the Father, we ask you to give us the verbiage to speak it, to reverse that curse, the power of words, to turn that away. Proverbs says that there is life and death is in the power of the tongue. We know that Moses said there in Deuteronomy, death and life, blessing and cursing are in the ability of choice. Give us the ability to choose life. Give us the ability to choose blessing. Give us the ability to confront areas of our life that may or may not be out of order. Give us the ability to share this message with others. It seems like everything goes wrong. Everything happens. They're living from paycheck to paycheck, from one, from one de devastation to another devastation. Use us not to hurt their feelings or to anger them, but use us to give them knowledge to turn things around in their life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And they all said, amen. The, uh, are we still recording? I'm, I'm ready if you will to... I just want to share something. Let's, let's take this off the air.